0: just being able to use food and the restaurant to be a part of the community I think that's that's pretty exciting for me and meeting other communities like my suppliers and um, producers and stuff like that and I think it's the relationship that restaurants build hospitality builds that I love
1: this is the crackling I'm Anthony Huckstep success rarely comes without hard work sacrifice and setting goals and sticking to your guns that striving to succeed to be a better version of yourself and create amazing experiences for others are common roads for many who make a career out of hospitality and for T. lee that fight for the better is part of her dna T. how are you
0: thank you how are you
1: Good. It's good to get you on the show. You've had some pretty amazing news in the last week, uh, winning Chef of the Year. How did that feel?
0: Um, pretty pretty surreal. Uh, I'm pretty excited. Like, yeah, I never thought... You know, it's one of those things, you know, you, you become a chef and you see all your mentors before you and, you know, you, you never actually... Re- think about actually winning it and to win it I'm just and especially voted by you know like the peers Uh, I think it's uh, very honorary and yeah it's amazing
1: it's it's an amazing acknowledgement from industry um how much has it changed the last week for you and, and your thoughts about what you've achieved so far um in your career
0: um nothing's I'm still the same old me and uh, now I just find it <laughs> a lot of people give me shit for it now <laughs> which, is, uh, which is uh pretty funny because now you know a few of our suppliers are like oh, sh- should we bow to you now <laughs> I was like no um so nothing's changed but I think you know the last 24 months has been I guess you know quite mentally hard for me and it's being such a small business and there were moments where and even up until maybe three months ago with the whole staff shortage I'm like oh I'm done you know Uh, I think almost the point of giving up and and I, I guess to some degree I guess winning the award has kind of been like oh maybe there is a bit more to give, you know, maybe I am on the right track and it's just recognition and that, you know, you're, you're kind of on the right path. Hmm. So, yeah.
1: You you opened Anchovy on the Scent of an Oily Rag. Um, t- tell us about those sort of early days when you sort of first got the um, restaurant up and running because it's got so much um, acknowledgement and awards um, since then.
0: Um. I guess when we opened Anchovy, it was a, a few things. Um, I, I was also at the point where I've been working for people nonstop up until that point, And I was like, maybe I just want to chill out and do do something a bit easier. I actually wanted to open a chicken shop and uh, my... My, which I still do, uh, and my partner, she, she was in the corporate world, and she was like, she wanted to always open the coffee shop, and I was like, I'm not waking up early to do bacon and eggs, and then so we were like, okay, let's open the chicken shop, and I think. As we were, as we had more time with each other and we started dining out in like the Melbourne landscape, we, I just, I just realized that there was something missing, you know, I guess that time Southeast Asian food was going through a, um, you know, like, loud bright lights neon lights and very street food and we 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 both agreed that there was a bit more to it than just the superficial things that you eat when you're on you know khao san road or you know you know in the middle of ho chi minh or and so we we wanted to do something a little bit more serious and um i i guess that was this the birth of uh anchovy so and Honestly, we had no idea. So we wrote, this, we wrote this business plan at first. We thought it was great. We were like, you know, the spend per head will be like $35. You know, we'll do like 150 packs. It'll be easy, you know, and we opened on a shoestring and it was literally I was like, so the business plan, just throw out the window because <laughs> everything we wrote it's completely opposite opposite. We thought we'd get a younger crowd, we end up getting baby boomers, and at that time at that time we we had these communal tables, which we thought were great, you know, it communal style everyone hated. You know, and yeah, we had no idea how to run a restaurant. You know, I've worked in restaurants, uh, but just yeah, we had no idea. And everything just happened quite quite naturally you know so people will give us feedback or complain and we're like okay cool yeah you know you've got something and so we'll, we'll, we'll fix that and we'll do that and then I think about a year into it um maybe just under a year into it we had a gentleman a Saturday night who started yelling at us at the front door and he he just lost it. He was just like you lied to me, you don't even have seats. What kind of restaurant doesn't have seats? And then we were like okay, you know, calm down and I was like okay, I can't deal with this anymore. Let's let's renovate and have seats. <laughs> you know, chairs. Chairs, sorry. And so we we kind of did that and yeah, and so I think Anchovy has been a natural quite organic for us, you know, and I, I think because we didn't spend a lot of money in t- at the beginning, we were able to fix it up, like, as we were developing it, if that makes sense, yeah.
1: Tell us a little bit about the, the food offering that you introduced um, and you wanted to showcase um, the breadth and depth of, of um uh, your culinary sort of background and heritage. but So give us an idea of that.
0: So because we kind of – I didn't know what the market was going to be. So half the menu was this like quite mainstream, you know, rice paper rolls, spring rolls kind of ordeal. And the, the other half was just stuff that um, – you at that time, I don't. I don't think you necessarily saw it in restaurants, and so you know we we had like um, goat cooked in fermented bean curd with coconut water, and we had like awful noodles on, and you know uh, I think at that time the staple was uh, the blood pudding with ginger and. Um, the pig's blood um, that's baked like a custard with, with cod's leaf, and I've always worked in European restaurants where I find it so. When you talk about morthea or black pudding, everyone's like, "Oh yeah, you know, it's so delicious." And then when you talk about you know Asian style blood pudding, everyone's like, "Yuck!" And I'm like. It's actually the same thing, you know. And so I was adamant to put something on and to eat it how we would at home. And I think for us when we eat um, offal, it's always contrast with a lot of lightness to it. So it's not necessarily done like European style where you fry an egg and, you know, it's quite rich. So Viet style is very light and fresh. And I just wanted to... It's more like introducing the eating ethos, Vietnamese ethos, to what we were doing.
1: Pork is uh, central to a lot of Vietnamese uh, cookery. Tell us a little bit about um, some of the dishes that you've had on over the years at anchovy that's sort of where pork has been central.
0: Um, so we, we did the blood pudding, uh, which is uh, made from pig's blood, and... Um, and then we had um your tool, which is um normally eaten during new year so it's the um the pig's head that's been wok tossed with uh five spice and rice wine and then turned into a tureen um and then we've always because f- from the early days I've always wanted to use whole animals and so when we uh at the beginning when we end up the beginning of the restaurant we end up using a supplier called Bandara and we're getting her pigs in and we were just doing cuts so when one cut runs out we go on to the next one you know so um yeah and I, I guess um we were always using pork in in that kind of manner and then I've always had an interest in like Chinese barbecue style things. So we were doing uh, suckling pigs that like Hong Kong style where it's butterfly or we, we stuffed it with like a lot of aromats and shrimp paste and stuff like that.
1: I want to explore, you've got three venues at the moment and I want to explore them in sort of detail in a little while, but take us back to when you were young and your upbringing and, um, what sort of role did food play in your family?
0: Um, I think, like every village, food is huge, huge part of our uh, DNA. You know, you haven't eat, finished eating, even eating breakfast and you're talking about lunch and dinner. Um, so, and, I, you know, there was always gathering. So, mum was always cooking and I think cooking was always a chore for me. So, I never... Anticipated to become a chef, and um, yeah, and yeah, I guess food's always been a part of our upbringing.
1: Tell us a little bit about that period of time. Uh, you mentioned that you didn't sort of think that you would become a chef, but how did you make that leap?
0: Um, so, so, so it goes back. I think a couple of stages. I think so. In, in high school, so I always grew up thinking I was going to be a, either an architect, a furniture maker, or interior designer, so some, to some description of that kind of field. And so I was always studying um, tech drawing during high school, and um, I ended up moving my senior year to a private school. And they didn't have that course. So then, you know, as a teenager, you you kind of pick the easiest thing to do. <laughs> so I end up doing doing cookery. And then the teacher was always like, You're such a you know, such a natural. Artist. I think maybe you should become a chef. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, never. Because I think my mom I think that's the last thing she wanted me to do. Um, and so there there was that, and i really and i 've always really enjoyed you know cooking and you know I've always cooked for myself even growing up um, and then when I was studying interior design, I ended up taking a year gap to to go travel and i found I found myself traveling around and eating eating a lot, and I spent four months in china and I fell in love with China and its food because I think at that time where you're eating suburban, you know Chinese food, and then you go to China, you're like, "Whoa, (laughs) this is this is different." And I spent a bit of time in Sichuan, and it just it blew my mind. And I yeah, and then after that, I was always being fascinated by the cooking. Um, the the cooking history and that you know, I fell in love with, uh, Szechuanese Sh- food so much that even when after traveling, when I came back to Australia, um, I opened a little market store, you know, around Sydney, just doing these skewers uh, for fun, um, and then. Uh, uh, so while I was traveling, yeah, so I went around the world, I went around Europe and all that, and I ended up house sitting um, in leeds and the lady at that time she actually had a restaurant in the hunter valley uh, a Thai restaurant in the hunter valley and so so it was European by day and Thai by night, yeah uh, weird, but it worked um, and then she, and so I was telling her, I was like, oh, actually, I was thinking about maybe cooking because I really enjoy eating out and eating and all that. And then she was like, oh, maybe you should do it. Um, if you ever decide you might want to try it, maybe come up to the Hunter. Um, so then when I finished traveling, went back to Sydney, I ended up moving up to um, the Hunter Valley for a for a month and ended up staying for three months and the head chef had left at that time and the sous chef had left. And I ended up up in the kitchen by myself at one stage um, and uh, and then she had no one. So then because it was a Thai restaurant and I had no idea how to cook Thai, I ended up cooking meat dishes I kind of knew. So it was this really weird mashup of – European by day kind of Thai Viet thing yeah and then um so I was staying at her house at that time and she had just a, a great collection of cookbooks and I just started reading all these cookbooks and I kind of just realized that if I really wanted to do this seriously I think it was time to go back to Sydney and then I went back to Sydney I enrolled in commercial cookery without my mom knowing finished it and then i invited my mom to the graduation at the end of it and then that's how (laughs)
1: wow what was her response
0: uh she was like why don't you tell me you're graduating i could have worn better clothes (laughs) i remember that was the the time but um yeah she she wasn't keen she wasn't keen at all um she just, because I think, you know, she migrated over here and it's been pretty tough. And just to see your daughter, you know, work a, a trade, it's, it's pretty hard. And I think at that time, you know, all the other kids were either, you know, accountants, doctors, lawyers, and, you know, all the white collar jobs. Yeah, she didn't, she didn't take it too well. And, um, and then when I ended up working for Christine Manfield, she kind of eased off a bit you know cuz she was like up until that point i think restaurant world is pretty hard it, it's not it's not like glamorous or anything yeah
1: tell us about your time uh with christine manfield and the influence she had on you
0: um i loved it like you know it was it, it was such a small kitchen it was hard it was hard work and but the team when we were there everyone everyone got along it was like a really tight knit family and yeah and i just you know i just you know i was never counting my hours or you know and it's just like she she really helped hone my palate, you know. And you know, we used to make numb jim every day at four thirty, and you had to be precise. And you know, you had to do, you had to taste it, and and yeah. And it's like for me, you know, I worked at Universal, and I I just I just thought. At that time, it was one of the most exciting fine dining restaurants. You know, the flavors were bold. It was vibrant, you know, and if something was spicy, she didn't care, you know, make it spicy. So it wasn't really toned down to suit another palate. And that's what, yeah, and that's what I liked. And she's such a hard worker,
1: you spent um, much of your career with Andrew McConnell as well. How did that connection and move to Melbourne happen?
0: So I, I worked – so I was at Universal and Andrew had come up to do his book launch for Cumulus Inc. And we, we were cooking, we were cooking the, um, his lunch menu for him. And – I I remember trying the tuna tartare with the goat's curd and the peas, and I was like, "Oh my god, who is was this guy with straightened hair?" <laughs> like, you know, I was like, "This food," because at that time I didn't really follow chefs or restaurants. You know, it's just learning to cook, and I was like, "Christine's food is complex and delicious." Andrew's food was restrained, complex, and also delicious, you know, and it was such a contrast to see them side by side. And, yeah, and as we were going throughout the lunch menu um, that day, and he, I think he did a suckling pig with a little fennel salad, and, yeah, and I just... I was just like, wow, you know, I just you could taste all the ingredients, and it was very like restrained and simple, and I, I just loved it. And I said to JP, his head chef at the time, I was like, you know, if I, I probably want to come to Melbourne, um, you know. And then we swapped numbers, and I ended up, uh, I ended up doing a trial at Cutler and Cumulus and. And then I think I just fell in love with Cumulus Inc. And I think just up until that point, you know, cooking, you know, you're always out in the back. And here is this, here's Cumulus, you know, everything was. In front of you and it was so exciting to get um deliveries from farmers directly from the farmer and I didn't really experience that at the time and I think Colin was Colin Wood was there at the time he was like try this and try this and all these herbs that were getting in from the farm and it just I don't know it just blew my mind and romanticized I guess the whole farm to table kind of thing. And then yeah, that's and then and I end up moving to Melbourne to work at Cumulus. Hmm.
1: Andrew is um a, a bit of a legend in the industry, but he's 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 pretty quiet and keeps to himself as well. What do you have any stories of what it's like to to work with him?
0: Um I think when we first when I first worked at Cumulus, there was a huge transitional period where um, he was doing a lot for the chefs. And this is one thing I love about Andrew is not only he teaches you how to cook and appreciate produce, he also teaches the back-of-house stuff and, and, like, about costing and all that. And, you know, And, you know, it all starts from the top. You know, down and so, yeah. And I think that's what I really respect about Andrew, and he's all always has time. If you ask him something, he'll he'll explain everything, and he always has time for you. Which you know, which is for a busy man, it's it means a lot. And you know, and for him, it was a lot of input. You know, you were allowed to have input. To the business, and you know, they created the whole Monday session for the chefs, where they will get producers in or suppliers, and you know, you you come in for three hours, and you get to talk to them directly, learn about them, ask questions, whatever it might be, and you know, uh, I think he's a huge champion of training the next lot of chefs. Not only, yeah.
1: Christine Manfield and Andrew McConnell are pretty incredible mentors to have as the basis of your career, but you have your own restaurant now. What, what's your approach with, with your staff and creating career paths and getting the best out of them?
0: Um, I think for, for us is we – I think what I've learned from Christine is always like to hone the basics. And uh, to teach people about the palate, so I, for us, for for me anyway, I always have time to teach my chefs about um, how you would taste something—not not just cooking, but how you taste—and and you know, like like, and we will always have inputs about. So I would just get stuff in from the farms and I was like, you know, this is coming in season, what do you want think what, what, what do you want to do? This is what I'm thinking, and then everyone kinda of contributes to it. You know. Um even though if I have an idea about something, I, I would never say it. You know, I always trying to get them to articulate what they think. Um and and I think it's important because I think sometimes People eat stuff and they're like, shit, but they can't even, they can't even tell you why, you know? Um, so, I think for both JY and I, we always train vocabulary um, and, and, and just honing the basic skills. So, you know, not use a mandolin, use a knife, you know, to cook simply, like just use pans versus sous vide and stuff like that. So, my cooking is very s- simple and... Um, and for them to understand food costing and stuff like that, the back of the house. So it's a mixture of both, I uh, guess what, Christine and Andrew. But besides all that, I think I, it's, it's actually my first chef, Anthony Redondi, which really taught me h- hospitality and how important the kitchen brigade is. Hmm.
1: You've got three venues now. Tell, tell us a little bit about about them and, and what it takes to um, run the multiple offerings.
0: So right now, anchovy is uh, on a hiatus uh, because because of uh, COVID, we, we end up switching from um, a la carte to a, a tasting to a tasting menu. Um, and as, as we were transitioning and moving anchovy into a set menu, I've kind of realized that's probably the direction I I want to take anchovy to. Um, I think it just tells the story about Vietnamese cuisine a bit, um, it's, it's a bit more focused. Um, and so we decided to and then I, I, I just 338 where the restaurant the space is, um, I just felt that the space no longer suited Anchovy. You know, I think Anchovy kinda intellectually outgrown that space and And so we decided that we wanted to move it um, next door to a small intimate space and we we're going through a liquor licensing case at the moment and it's taken almost like uh, two years. uh, January January will be two years. Um, So we'll see how that goes and then we'll figure out the next step. And so we were like, well... Because we've got a PDR room um, upstairs, it's probably it, – the, the space suits more of an a la carte vibe. And so we – because during lockdown, we kind of did like a Laotian menu, we decided to, to bring that back, something that's a bit more accessible, a bit more easy for everyone, that like they can pop in, pop out. More like a neighborhood restaurant, you know. Um yeah so we've got that um gel in that space um and then during lockdown we 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 took over the massage parlor next door and then converted it into the the sandwich shop it is today and so the back of house we 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 get to share the kitchen space and the pot wash and then I think just one's open during the day and the ones open at night time
1: well i You're selling banh mi in uh, that little sandwich shop that you mentioned, one of the world's greatest sandwiches. Tell us about the elements of that and how you create an um, amazing banh mi.
0: Um, So we we did... So the banh mi was a COVID burst as well. Um, so we were doing a Laotian menu at that time. And so a lot of the – even though it's a banh mi, um, a lot of the flavors probably leans to more like the Laotian flavors um, than the actual Vietnamese style. Um, but I think for me, as a kid growing – when we used to get banh mi in Vietnam, I just I just remember all the aunties who used to do the banh mís who didn't have the big stalls. They would ride their bike and they have this little grill and they'll toast your bread for you, and then they'll you know everything was done on a little charcoal grill. And I've always been romanticized by by that idea, and um, and so for us we we toast. We toast all the the bread off on on the wood, um, and then um, the sausages and the chicken get smoked over the fire and then cooked, and um, yeah, I I think that's that's our DNA for our um, our sandwiches and everything gets the menu changes due to seasonality as well in terms of the vegetables and stuff. Um, Yeah. And for me, I think, I think a good bun me should not really detract away from the bread. I mean, not, not, not the bread, the filling, you know, it's more, I think the bread is more about the vessel. There and then, um, but really, it's a, it's a focus on the the filling where it's like it's your me contrasting with you know the herbs, the crunch, the spice, and yeah, uh,
1: as we sort of touched on a bit earlier, pork is quite central to Vietnamese cuisine. You mentioned about getting whole pigs in. how How do you treat the different elements of a pig with the um, different um, offerings and dishes that you're creating?
0: So, you know, the funny thing, well, we're getting whole pigs in for the Bun Me shop. It, at the beginning, it's like we couldn't keep up <laughs> because it was, people used to get angry at us. Like, so we'll break down the pig and then we'll do the pork neck, like char seal style. And as you know, like a pig only has one neck. And so, so it runs out quite fast, or we'll, we'll have it on a day. It's not on all the time or the pork belly. And then same thing with the pork belly. There's only like two two sides. Um, and so, yeah. And so depending on what the cut is, um, we 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 treat it. So I think the next we turn it into the char siu, the belly, crispy pork, the head, to terrine, and then everything. Um, and then I think... The loins, we'll probably send it over to the restaurant side and everything else gets um, minced and turned into sausages.
1: Speaking of sausages, recently you had a jungle spiced pork sausage banh me on the menu. Can you tell us a bit about that?
0: Um, So it's based on the Laotian. Uh, so it's based on the Laotian style sausage and it's something I love eating gr- since a-, a kid. And... I've been trying to hack this sausage recipe for like uh, for a very long time and uh yeah and so it's um pork pork uh, pork meat um uh, with skin on and everything um so I don't um I don't bulk it out with um fat so it's all the meat that goes in plus skin Um, it just gives a bit more of a texture and then, then it gets, gets mixed with like lemongrass, chili, garlic, galangal, uh, lime leaf, um, salt, sugar, and then just gets marinated, coriander root, spring onions, and it gets marinated and hung. And then we, we, we smoke it over the wood grill in the house and then we, you finish it off on the flame. Super delicious.
1: That sounds amazing. Um, you've had a challenging couple of years, and um, amazing acknowledgement just just recently that we touched on earlier. Um, what do you love about what you do?
0: It's it's dynamic. You know, and I think I'm very fortunate. I'm, I'm like the chef owner of my own venue, and you know, we don't do huge covers, so my footprint's quite pretty, pretty small in terms of restaurants. And I guess for me, it's like if something's not working, I, I can change it, and and I get to grow it with what's kind of happening, what's around me as well you know like I guess it, you know like the pandemic happened couldn't do a takeaway then the bun me came and we, we decided to do the bun me because it was just something that's fun and exciting for everyone to grab and go and then I guess it created its life of its own and you know just just being able to use food in the restaurant to be a part of the community I think that's that's pretty exciting for me and meeting other communities like my suppliers and um, producers and stuff like that and yeah and I think having I think it's the relationship that restaurants build hospitality builds that I love
1: well it's been an absolute honour to have you on The Crackling today to hear just a part of your story Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon
0: we will do thanks thank you thanks for having me
1: This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.